0: so we've now reached the 5th hadith which is a hadith of Umm al-Mu'minin Umm Abdullah Aisha radiyallahu anha qalat qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam man ahdatha fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu fahua huwa radd rawahu al-bukhari wa muslim wa fi muslim man amila amalan laysa alayhi amruna Fahua huwa so in this hadith narrated by Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha, whose kunya was Umm Abdillah. Umm Abdillah, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha, the daughter of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiyallahu anhumah. How many children did she have? None. Aisha radiyallahu anha did not have children but despite that her kunya was Umm Abdullah her kunya was Umm Abdullah but she didn't have any children uh, it's mentioned in the seerah of or the biography of Aisha radiyallahu anha uh, in Sira a'lam al-nubala of Imam Al-Dhahabi and other places he mentions the quotes of the salaf regarding Aisha radiyallahu anha and the level of knowledge that she had. And they say that even some of the big sahaba, from the senior sahaba, some of them they used to go to Aisha radiallahu anha, to ask about questions, and she would answer them. So the scholars, they mentioned the level of knowledge Aisha radiallahu anha had, and it was a superior level of knowledge. When Aisha radiallahu anha died, who prayed the janazah? I'm sure there was a homework once in Bradford. <laughs> who prayed the janaza? The scholars have mentioned in their books that it was another one of the companions who prayed the janazah upon Aisha anha when she passed away. They say it was Abu Huraira. Abu Huraira who prayed the janazah upon Aisha anha when she passed away. So she narrates in this hadith that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, Man ahdath fi amrina haza ma minhu Whomsoever innovates into this religion of ours, or brings about something new into this religion of ours, that is not from it. Whoever brings about some new affair, something new into this affair. Into our affair that is not from it, fahuwa Then it will be rejected, meaning مرضود, that it will be thrown back onto that individual, not accepted from that individual. Asheikh al-Fauzan, says in the explanation: "Man ahdatha whoever brings about something new into our affair, i.e., fi Meaning whomsoever brings about something new into our legislation, into the religion, into the Sharia, And that we already explained previously in the lessons, that bid'ah, it is something that is brought about into the religion. As for the worldly affairs, then they are not considered as innovations or bid'ah. You remember the principle when it comes to worship, the principle when it comes to worship is that all acts of worship are tawqifi Meaning they cannot be conducted except with an evidence from the Qur'an or the Sunnah. You require an evidence from the Qur'an and the Sunnah to be able to carry out any given act of worship. Meaning therefore you cannot just worship Allah without evidence. You can't worship Allah without knowing how to do that worship or when to do that worship. What are the characteristics of performing that worship? You can't just make up worship yourself. That's the meaning of ibadah tawqifi Worship can only be done in accordance to how the Qur'an and the Sunnah has told us to do the worship. Whereas with worldly things, it's the opposite. With worldly things, it's the opposite. You can do as you please, as long as there is nothing in the Qur'an and the Sunnah that opposes that. Or prohibits that as long as there is no prohibition you can do what you want so it's not a case of having to find an evidence to do the worldly things the worldly things you can do what you want unless you find an evidence that prohibits you unless you find an evidence that prohibits that act then the default is it's permissible but with worship it's the opposite the default is it's not permissible until you can find an evidence that tells you this is permissible. With worship, the default is it's not permissible until you can find evidence telling you this is how to do this worship. With worldly affairs, it's all permissible. Unless you find an evidence telling you it's not permissible. Meaning when you go out to buy a car, are you going to buy a blue one or a red one or a yellow one or a white one? Buy whatever color you want. Nobody can say to you, what's the proof? in the Qur'an and the Sunnah to buy the white car you're looking to buy. Nobody can ask you for proof as to why you're buying the white car and leaving the blue one. Nobody can do that. This is a worldly affair. It's permissible. All of them are permissible. The default is they're permissible. Buy a red one, buy a blue one, buy a white one. All of the cars are permissible to buy by default. Unless there was an evidence prohibiting you from one of them. If for example there was an evidence saying you're not allowed to buy red cars, then now we would say all of the others are permissible, but red isn't. So with worldly affairs, everything is permissible, unless there's an evidence telling you it's not. With religious affairs, everything is impermissible by default, unless there's an evidence telling you, this is how you can do it and this is permissible. Does everybody understand the difference? So with worship, you can't do what you want. You need an evidence to tell you this is how to do it. With worldly affairs, you can do as you please, unless there's something in the Qur'an and the Sunnah telling you you can't do that. That doesn't mean though a person incorrectly applies this principle and goes out and does things which are haram and says, well, I don't know the evidence that this is impermissible. Drinking alcohol, doing other types of acts that are haram. There is evidence in the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon their impermissibility. So this is not an excuse for an individual to go do what he wants and say, I don't know that this is haram. I've never come across an evidence this is haram. He go and search for the truth, a person he searches for the truth, he looks for the halal and what is the Haram in order to know what to do and what not to do. So here though, in the hadith it says, whomsoever brings about some new affair into our religion. Therefore excluding the worldly affairs, worldly affairs are not considered innovation in this way. and that's why you see the mistake of these individuals. The so-called scholars who in reality don't have the knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the foundations of the Sunnah. They don't have that. Their understanding is misguided, it's deviated because of the ways they learnt and where they learnt and who they learnt from. So you hear people like Hamza Yusuf saying that having an alarm clock to wake you up for fajr is a bid'ah. He says it's an innovation to do that. And the reality is these types of affairs, they are not innovation. Driving a car to the masjid, is that innovation then because the companions didn't used to drive cars? Riding in an airplane to go to hajj, is that an innovation because the companions used to go walking around their donkeys? Does that mean we have to go walking around donkeys or on horses or camels? And that's the only way you can make hajj because that's what the companions did? That's incorrect. The meaning of innovation, innovation is innovation in the religious affairs. As for technology and these developments and those types of affairs, that's not what's meant here. So here, that's why the 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 sheikh Sheikh Al fawzan says the meaning of the hadith: Whomsoever brings about some new affair into our affair amrina i.e. in our legislation, our religion, wa'ahdatha he brings about something, meaning aujada ibadatun lam yakun laha min wa sunnati sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that he brings about some act of worship where there is no evidence for it from the Qur'an or the Sunnah. توقيفية, because all acts of worship are توقيفي. Meaning لا إلا بما دل عليه الدليل منها, That you cannot do any act of worship that you please in, a, in any way, but rather it must be in the manner that you've been taught to do it in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. As for an act where there is no evidence for it, then that means Allah has not legislated this act for you. And whomsoever, look at this statement of Shaykh Khawzan now, whomsoever seeks closeness to Allah via an act that Allah did not legislate, then that individual is an innovator. Whomsoever seeks closeness to Allah via an act that Allah did not legislate, then that individual is a mubtadi'ah muhdith fi din ma He has brought about into the religion that which is not from it. Wa'amaluhu mardudun 'alayhi la yubalu 'and Allah. And the act of this person, a person who brings about some act of worship that isn't evidenced in the Quran and the Sunnah then that act of his will be rejected, returned back, thrown unto him, not accepted by Allah. لأن العبادة وسائر الأعمال لا إلا بشرطين. Because worship, all types of worship and obedience cannot be accepted, except with two pillars. We've mentioned them before many times. Those two pillars are... One is for the sake of Allah... And the second pillar, somebody else? Following the Sunnah. So the two pillars are that there must be al-ikhlas, sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that act. And the second pillar is al-mutaba'ah, that it must be in accordance to the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi sallam. Sincerity to Allah, we've already mentioned the hadith: Indeed, all of your actions are but by the intentions. So whomsoever does his act for the sake of Allah, then his reward is upon that. And whomsoever does his act for other than the sake of Allah, for showing off of worldly gains, then for him is what he intended. Similarly, Allah commanded us in the Qur'an to be upon sincerity in our acts of worship. وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِأَعْبَدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِسِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حنفة. They were not commanded to worship except upon sincerity and tawheed. They were not commanded to worship Allah except upon sincerity and tawheed. حُنَفَا Upon the tawheed and staying away from the shirk. حُنَفَا hanif It means to be upon tawheed. Similarly Allah said لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ فَلِيَعْمَلَ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكْ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا This ayah includes both of these principles. ikhlas and متابعة. Because Allah said, Whomsoever wishes to meet his Lord, فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا Then let him do the righteous actions. And actions are only going to be righteous if they are in accordance to the sunnah. And he should not commit any shirk with Allah, therefore indicating the aspect of sincerity. So the two pillars are mentioned in this ayah. That is an ayah that is a proof for both of these pillars that any act of worship requires the sincerity and the following of the sunnah. We've given these examples before. An individual who comes along now, and he only implements one of the two pillars, and he abandons the other pillar, he leaves the other pillar, then his act will be unacceptable. For example, an individual who does his worship sincerely for the sake of Allah, maybe so, But he doesn't follow the sunnah in how he does his act. His act becomes an innovation, a bid'ah. Even if he was doing it sincerely for the sake of Allah. If he's not implemented the second pillar of following the sunnah, then that must mean he's doing an act which is against the sunnah, outside of the sunnah. If he's not following the sunnah, then that act must be something outside of the sunnah. And therefore it's a bid'ah. An individual who does his act, even if it is sincerely as he claims, if he is not following the Sunnah, then his act is not acceptable. That is why we mentioned in the testification when you say, "Ashhadu an la Muhammadan Rasulullah," testify that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. There were four parts to that testification. When you testify Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah, then you mean by that, you will obey him in that which he commanded. Ta'atuhu amara. And you will stay away from that which he prohibited. And you will believe him in the information he gave us. fi ma akhbara. And that you will only worship Allah in the manner which he commanded. yu'badu illa bima shar'a. That's the meaning of your testification. "Ashhadu Muhammadan abduhu So how can an individual now bear testification to that, which means in of itself, in its core, when you testify that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, means that you're then going to obey him, and stay away from the prohibitions, and that you're only going to worship Allah in the manner he taught us. Otherwise, what does your testification mean? That I testify, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, he is the one who was given the revelation, he was the one who was the seal of the prophets, he was the one who was chosen by Allah for that revelation, the best of the creation, you're going to testify to all of that, but then you're going to say, still though, I'm going to make up something else, which the prophet didn't tell us to do and do that. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So even if a person says he's doing it sincerely, if he isn't following the sunnah of the prophet, he's made a mistake. In the Quran, Allah told us to do that. Allah commanded us in the Quran that which the Prophet gives you, then take it. Do it when He commands you. And that which He prohibits you from, stay away from it. That's what we've been told to do by Allah in the Quran. So now, an individual who makes some new form of worship up, which the Prophet hasn't told us to do, then he isn't fulfilling this command. He isn't fulfilling the obligation to stick to what the Prophet ﷺ commanded us and forbade us from. He's now brought something new. And that's why the scholars say somebody who does that, then by default they are belittling or uh, accusing the Prophet ﷺ of not having completed the message. If somebody comes along now with a new act of worship, something which isn't legislated in the Qur'an or the Sunnah, It's not to be found. And the classic example is the birthday of the Prophet Some of them, they will admit, they'll say, okay, we know there's no evidence in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, but we're doing it to show our love for Allah. We're doing it to show our love for Allah. Even if the companions didn't do it, what's wrong with us doing it still? We're doing it to show our love for Allah. We're doing it sincerely for Allah. Surely that's good. Surely we'll get reward for that. But the answer is no. Even if you are doing it to show your love for Allah, that's incorrect in the first place. Because Allah told us how to show love for Him. He said, If you truly love Allah, then follow me. That's the sign of love. That's why the scholars say this ayah in the Quran is known as the ayah of examination. If somebody wants to examine themselves, are they truly demonstrating their love for Allah or not, then this is the test, this ayah. Because in this ayah it says, if you truly want to demonstrate your love, then follow me. Follow the commandments. Not make up new worship yourself. So that is the true sign of love, that a person is following the commandments and staying away from the prohibitions as per the revelation. That is a sign of love. Not somebody making up new forms of worship. That is actually an accusation against the Prophet ﷺ. It's like the person is saying, when he makes up a new act of worship, that the Prophet ﷺ didn't teach us this. He didn't teach us this, but I'm doing it anyway because it's an act that will bring me closer to Allah. That means therefore the Prophet ﷺ failed in accordance to their claim to teach us this act of worship which would have brought us closer to Allah. Why did the Prophet not tell us about the birthday if that's going to bring us closer to Allah and get us reward from Allah? Why when we just commanded in a hadith, Celebrate my birthday every year. If that was going to get us reward from Allah and it was going to bring us closer to Allah and that was something which has benefit in it and reward in it, and Allah loves us for doing that, then why wasn't there just a simple hadith, celebrate my birthday every year, simple as that, command and we all do it. Because that isn't the sunnah, this isn't the revelation, this isn't what the Prophet ﷺ commanded us to do, that isn't an act which brings you closer to Allah, it isn't an act which you get reward for, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ didn't tell us to do it, and that's why the companions didn't do it. So now any individual who brings about new forms of worship, you see clearly that there can't be any excuse for it. Even if the person claims I'm doing it sincerely for the sake of Allah, it's not possible. It's not possible and it's not acceptable even if he claims he's doing it sincerely for the sake of Allah. Because the Prophet ﷺ has already taught us all of the different acts of worship that we need to know to get closer to Allah. We're not cleverer than the companions. It's like the person is saying, the companions didn't use to celebrate the birthday, they didn't. So now this person who celebrates the birthday, is he cleverer than the companions? He's thought of a way to show his love for the Messenger of Allah and to get reward from Allah that the companions didn't think of. If that was such an act of worship that gets you reward and love for Allah, then why didn't the companions do it? They were the most uh, enthusiastic, the most keen in terms of wanting to worship Allah and get the reward and show their love. And they didn't do it. So you see all of these explanations clearly highlight. It's not possible for anyone to bring about anything new now. The very fundamental and basis of this religion is that all of the worship is done purely from those sources of the Qur'an and the Sunnah with the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. If we open up this door, then everybody can make up whatever they want. People could make up all sorts of things and say, no, this is just to show Allah for Allah. As they do. How many times do you hear them? The 15th night of this month. This day on Sha'ban, this day of Rajab, this day of this month, this day of that month, go to the mosque and pray 200 raka'at at at night. They do it. They have papers. I've seen it myself. Papers, pray 200 raka'at, then make this dua a thousand times, then go back and pray another 78 raka'at, then this dua 600 times, and they have a full program for the night. Thousand times this one, 2000 times this one, 600 times this one, on this particular night of this month. Where and how? Which hadith? All of this type of act is bid'ah. And you hear so much of it. Whenever somebody gives you this type of thing, you should ask them as a first point, what is your proof? Where is the hadith? Where is the ayah? Which imam spoke about this issue? Which scholar mentioned this in their books, in the evidences, etc. But the people, they make up these affairs. So here then, the shaykh says, in order for any act of worship to be accepted, you must make sure it is upon sincerity to Allah and... That it is in accordance to the Sunnah. This is how the Prophet taught us, this is how the companions they did it, that's how you do it. Otherwise, as the hadith says, Fahua otherwise, if it's not upon that principle, then the action is rejected. Rad meaning that the action will be thrown back onto that person, cast back to him, and not accepted. مَهْمَا أَتْعَبَ الْإِنسَانُ نَفْسَهُ فِيهِ Al-Shaykh al-Fawzan, says, to whatever level a person tires himself out, and uh, exerts himself, maybe somebody does one of these things, goes to the mosque one night on the 15th night of this month or that month, and prays a thousand raka'at, and he does this dua a million times or whatever it is, he does all of that all night, and he comes out after that night completely shattered, from that night of worship, inverted commas. He comes out shattered having done all of these raka'at and praying and all types of worship as they told him overnight. The sheikh says it doesn't matter how much you exert yourself, how much you tire yourself out with these types of acts, if they are not upon these principles of the sincerity and following the sunnah, then مَهْمَا أَتْعَبَ الْإِنسَانُ نَفْسَهُ No matter how much you exert your effort and tire yourself out, وَمَهْمَا نِيَتُهُ And even... To whatever level you might be sincere However level that person may be sincere Sometimes you see these people They say look nothing We're doing it sincerely for the sake of Allah And they genuinely you look at them they think You think they're being sincere Even the shaykh says It doesn't matter how sincere they think they are being And how much they tire themselves out The shaykh says It's not about how good your intention is That by itself isn't enough just how good your intention is by itself isn't enough. You need to have the implementation of the sunnah with it. That's why the, the salaf they used to say, Kam min lil khair, Lam yusibhu. How many people out there, they want goodness, but they never get it. They want to do goodness, but they never get it. Because their intentions may be good, they may be doing things sincerely, but they're just not following the sunnah. They're falling into all types of innovation and bid'ah when they're making themselves sincere. So then it's not worth it. It doesn't get accepted. So that's why the Salaf they used to say, Some people, how many people are there? They have good intentions, but they never get to the goodness they want because they're not following these principles. (laughs) The Shaykh says, You have to have the following of the Sunnah so the action can be accepted. فَإِنْ خلا مِنْ أَحَدِ هَذَيْنِ فَهُوَ مَرْدُودٌ عَلَى صَاحِبِهِ So if one of these two conditions is missing, then the act is rejected upon the one who did it. فَفِي هَذَا دَلِيلٌ عَلَى بُطْلَانِ الْبِدَعِ جَمِيعِهَا The shaykh says, this is therefore an evidence upon the incorrectness of all types of innovation. All types of bid'ah that are brought into the religion, they are all rejected, they are all unacceptable. In accordance to this principle mentioned in the hadith. Whomsoever brings about something new into our legislation, our sharia, then it will not be accepted, it will be rejected upon that person. All types of innovation. And the shaykh says the person who does that, he doesn't get reward for it, he thinks he's getting reward but he's not. He is actually a sinner for doing that. He is a sinner for implementing or practicing this bid'ah. Not somebody who's going to get reward for that. He's somebody who is sinning for doing that act. And that's why they say that the shaitan, he loves innovation more than he loves sinning. He can come to a person and whisper to that individual to commit sins. And so maybe the person commits sins. An individual goes and steals, an individual goes and drinks alcohol. He does sins. But when he does those sins, the individual in of himself knows that stealing is wrong. He knows. A robber, a thief on the street, he knows what he's doing is wrong. A Muslim goes and drinks alcohol, he knows in his heart what he's doing is wrong. So when you commit a sin, you know you're doing something wrong. So if you know you're doing something wrong, then there's always the possibility that at some point you may repent. As long as you know it's wrong, then at some point maybe you will have the fear and you'll repent from that wrong, because you know it's wrong. Whereas somebody who's committing innovation, when they commit innovation, when they commit this bid'ah, do they think they are doing something wrong, or do they think they are doing something that is bringing them closer to Allah? They think they are doing something which is an act of worship. They think they are obeying Allah. The ones who celebrate the birthday now, they think they are getting closer to Allah, getting reward for it. They don't even believe they are doing anything wrong. That's why the shaitan loves people to do innovation more, because they don't believe they're doing anything wrong, so they're not going to repent from it, and they're not going to leave it. So for those people, the shaitan gets them to continue upon that innovation even longer. That's why they mention that the shaitan loves the innovation more than sin, because sin, when you do it, you know it's wrong. And you may at some point repent. Whereas innovation, you don't even consider it to be wrong in the first place. So you continue upon it even more thinking you're worshipping Allah. And that pleases the shaitan because he's causing you to continue upon this false way, upon these incorrect actions and you don't even know it. So this is the severity of uh, innovation. Uh, وَفِيهِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْبِدَعُ فِي الدِّينِ كُلَّهَا مَرْدُودَةٌ this therefore indicates that all types of innovation are rejected. فَهِيَ رَدٌّ عَلَى مَن يَقُولُ hasana. This is a refutation of those people who try to give this explanation of good innovations, bid'ah hasana. Some people bring about evil innovations, misguidances, and they say, "No, this is bid'ah hasana." This is a good innovation. And they use terminology that was mentioned by scholars etc. Incorrectly to bring about this usage of this word onto their evil innovations and call them bid'ah Hasana. They say this is a good innovation in the religion. And the sheikh says that is incorrect. Anybody who innovates any type of worship into the religion, into the legislation that is not proven in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, not proven from the methodology of the Salaf, then that is an innovation. Call it a bid'ah hasana if you want. It's an innovation, it is rejected. So severe is this issue of innovation and not bringing any innovation into the religion that the Prophet used to warn the companions from innovation every Friday in the Jum'ah khutbah. Every Friday in the khutbah, the Prophet used to warn the people against innovation, and that is the statement at the beginning. فَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٌ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ظَلَالَةٌ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ. When the Prophet used to say, إن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة all of the newly invented affairs are misguidance and every misguidance is in the fire. These are mentioned in the words of the khutbah every Friday when the Prophet would arise upon the minbar. So, this indicates the severity, the danger of falling into this bid'ah. The Prophet used to warn against it every Friday. So the Shaykh says, if this is the case, then these individuals who try to bring about this confusion and say, no, this is bid'ah hasana, all these types of uh, words that they use, when they bring about evil innovations into the religion that were not from the Sharia, then it is an evil innovation and rejected, even if they try to beautify their actions. The Shaykh says, they try to beautify this innovation. Like the birthday of the Prophet, bring out food and bring out decorations and do these marches and we're loving the Prophet am showing our love for Allah and His Messenger they try to beautify it in the eyes of the people and in reality even this beautification of theirs is false because it ends up being an imitation of the disbelievers they go to some of their masajid they have Christmas lights and tinsel in their masajid they have it and that is exactly the decorations used by the non-Muslims for their Christmas festivals and this is what they do فهذا مخالف للقول الرسول صلى so the Sheikh says this is in opposition. all of these acts of theirs are in opposition to the methodology or the statement of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. فيقولون عن بدعة الاحتفال. in fact the Sheikh mentions it himself. he says they say about the birthday of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم إنها hasana حسنة. they say it's بدعة حسنة. لأنها دليل على حب الرسول. because they say this is a sign for you loving the messenger. Therefore, it's a bid'ah hasana. The Shaykh says, if this is true, their statement, they say this bid'ah it's a bid'ah hasana. Why? Because this act of ours demonstrates our love for Allah and His Messenger. The Shaykh says, okay, in that case, then Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali weren't they demonstrating their love for the Messenger then? Because they didn't celebrate the birthday. They didn't celebrate the birthday, so the, were they deficient? Ensuring their love for Allah and His Messenger? Clearly not. Because they didn't do the birthday. He says, the Shaykh says, in fact, all of the Salaf, the first generation, the second generation, the third generation, in that case, none of them loved the Prophet. Because none of them did the birthday. None of them used to celebrate the birthday. So, did all of them not love the Prophet then? This is the words of the Sheikh. So bringing about these new uh, worships and uh, events, that is not a sign for loving the messenger. بَلْ ذَلِكَ دَلِيلٌ عَلَى The shaykh says, actually, that is a sign of you hating him. Not loving him, hating him. Because the one who really loves the messenger, he follows him. وَلَا Khalifu? And he doesn't oppose him. If you love the messenger, you follow him, you don't oppose him. As for the one who brings about new worship, then he's opposing the messenger. He's bringing about new acts of worship that the Prophet ﷺ hasn't told us to do. He's opposing the messenger. So this isn't a sign of love, it's a sign of hatred. There's a, a line of poetry they mention, لو in this line of poetry they say, if you truly love him, then you would obey him. Because indeed the sign of you loving somebody is that you listen to them. The sign of you loving someone is that you obey them, you listen to them. That's the sign of loving someone. Not that you make up new things and do things that they didn't tell you to do. Riwaya and then to conclude that the other narration, there is the other narration of the same hadith. Whoever does an action that is not from our actions, that is rejected. So here we have two parts. The first hadith was saying, whoever brings about an innovation. The second one, whoever does the innovation. Because you might say a person, he didn't bring about this innovation. He didn't invent this innovation. Nevertheless, if he's doing it, and he's practicing it, and he's following it, then the second hadith encompasses him. The one who does an action that is not from our actions, then it is rejected. Um, the Shaykh says therefore somebody who does an innovation in that way somebody who commits that innovation even if he didn't invent it himself can still be termed a مُبْتَدِع he can still be termed an innovator even if he's not the one who invented the innovation in the first place faida and this is a great benefit the Shaykh says so that the people don't come to you and say "Ana lam uhdith so they don't come to you and say, I didn't invent anything. The hadith says, whoever man whoever brings about some new act. They say, I didn't bring about anything. This act of worshiping or celebrating the birthday and other things, they've already been done for centuries. I didn't make it up. He says, I'm just doing what other people have done before me. It was already invented by other people. I'm not to blame. So you say to him, Hatta wa in huwa Say to him, even if it was invented before you and other people did it before you, then they were all in the wrong too, and you're in the wrong too. That isn't a proof. If this was brought about before yourself, if it is opposing the Qur'an and the Sunnah, it is opposing the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Whether it was somebody a hundred years ago who invented it, or somebody who invents it now. So as long as it is an innovation, it's not permissible. فَإِن قَالْ إنما تقع المسؤولية على من ابتدعها if he says to you, well I'm not responsible, I'm doing it, the responsibility will be upon the person who invented it then. He'll get the sin for it, he'll get the punishment for it. I won't be hold, held to account or blame for following or practicing this innovation. The one who invented it, he'll get the blame for that, it's not my problem. Then say to him, أَلْمَسْئُولِيَ عَلَى مَنِ اِبْتَدَعَهَا wa مَنْ عَمِلَ biha." Tell him the responsibility and the burden of that is upon the one who invented it, and the one who then practices it and follows it. Because of the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, amila amruna." whoever acts upon an action that is not from our actions, it will be rejected too. So even if you are not the one who invented it, if you're doing it, then you're included in these narrations uh, regarding this innovation. so the Sheikh says, this is the benefit from the second narration. أن العمل هو في ذاته ابتداع that acting upon some innovation in of itself is innovation. Even if you didn't bring about yourself, even if you didn't invent it, acting upon innovation is innovation in of itself. Uh, so the Shaykh says in conclusion, this is a great hadith, and when you put this hadith alongside the other hadith, innamal Indeed, all of the actions are but by intention. Then when you put these two hadith together, you end up with the two pillars for all actions that are acceptable. All actions that are accepted and rewarded, they are upon these two pillars. بالنيات, i.e. sincerity. and fi amrin ma i.e. following the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu And that's why you see that the basis of Ahl Sunnah, the basis of As-Salafiyyah, is based upon that. Following the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the methodology of the salaf of this ummah. Ali imam Ahmad said at the beginning of Usul Sunnah, the foundations of the Sunnah, Usul indana bima kana ashabu Rasulullah wa bihim. That the foundations of the Sunnah with us are that we cling on to that which the companions of the Prophet ﷺ were upon, and we follow them. And what were they upon? The Qur'an and the Sunnah. That's what they were upon. That's why all of the scholars, they mention. If you were to get a book of one of the scholars from the early times, Al-Imam Ahmed for example, and you were to get a book from one of the scholars centuries later, Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Qayyim, rahimahum Allah, then you were to get a book for scholars centuries after them, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, a couple of centuries after him, Shaykh bin Baz, get the books of all of these scholars from these different centuries and read them. If you didn't know who the authors were, you would think all of them have been written by the same person. The scholars, they mentioned this. Why? Because even though the centuries may separate them in time, their methodology was the same throughout those centuries. So the books of al-Imam Ahmed, what you find in them in terms of principles and foundations of the sunnah, is what you'll find in the works of al al Bani bin Baz, al-Athameen, rahimahumullah, now. The same thing, the same principles, the same foundations throughout the ages amongst Ahl-Sunnah. So that's why you see uh, Ibn Abi Dawud in that famous book Al-Ha'iyyah, he mentioned this principle right at the beginning. He said, make sure that your religion is the book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet Din <laughs> bi-kitab Make your religion the book of Allah and the Sunnah which came from the Prophet Not the way of these people who have become misguided, all about their own inventions, do this on this night and do this on that night, and pray 200 and make this dua a thousand times, and all types of things they make up. Middle of Rajab you have to do this, middle of Sha'ban you have to do this, middle of this month you have to do that. All types of things they make up and none of it is evidenced or proven in the Quran and the Sunnah. So it's upon an individual to make sure that he clings to the evidences because worship is only accepted if it is in accordance to those evidences. And that is something that differentiates Ahl-Sunnah from the others. The others, you will not see them clinging to the Qur'an and the Sunnah in this way. You will not see them teaching lessons like the way Ahl-Sunnah, they teach lessons. Going through books of a hadith and sunnah and talking about these issues. Of sincerity and following the sunnah and hadith. You don't get this. In the people of innovation, they pick certain things and they'll focus on that and it's gone. So be aware of that and it is of vital importance and we'll conclude upon that point. With that hadith, and inshaAllah ta'ala will carry on from next week with the hadith of An-Nu'man ibn Bashir, the hadith where the Prophet said the halal is clear and the haram is clear and between them there are affairs that are between the affair of halal and haram that may be confusing to some. So we'll speak about this hadith. What do you do in those instances? The halal, the haram. What about the affairs in between that you're not sure about? What is the sunnah of the Prophet and how to behave with those issues? That will continue with next week, inshaAllah, at 7:30 pm.